Thanks for joining us at the Digital Leaders Podcast, where leaders of the digital economy share business advice from their professional experiences. Our guest today is Sam Fallick, who is the president and co-founder at BlockBar, which is a platform that offers asset-backed NFTs directly from luxury liquor brands. Last year, wines and spirits outpaced the S&P 500 index, and now Sam's company is disrupting that industry by enabling a new group of investors to participate in this lucrative asset class. Sam joins us today to educate us on the value of asset-backed NFTs. Oh, it looks like Sam is ready. Let's get started. Yeah, so my name is Sam Fallick. I'm the president and co-founder of BlockBar. Uh, I founded BlockBar along with my cousin, Dolph Fallick. We have a background in the duty-free industry. Uh, we launched BlockBar in October of 2021. Nice. Sam, it's great to have you. I'm excited for this conversation because, you know, I don't know much about the asset-backed NFT industry. And I know you are sort of the innovator. <clears throat> You're an expert in the space. So I imagine there's no better person on the planet to explain it to me and the audience. So let, let's start right there. Can you help me and the audience to understand this whole new class of NFTs? What is an asset-backed NFT? Well, first of all, Jay, I appreciate that. And thank you. Uh, and I'll try not to let down the audience. But basically, an asset-backed NFT is an NFT that is not just a uh, form of digital art or just lives on the digital realm, but something that relates to an actual physical object. So this can relate to many different industries, whether it's an NFT that corresponds to an actual physical piece of art, an NFT that corresponds to you know, an actual piece of sports memorabilia, or in our case, an NFT that corresponds to an actual bottle of spirits, of water, or, spirits or, or wine. Okay. And so you mentioned sports mem- memorabilia there. And immediately, you know, what came to mind is those trading cards that we used to get when, when we were kids. Is that what you mean? No, not necessarily, but I guess in in a sense, I think that the first uh, company that I saw do a great job with sports memorabilia, of course, is NBA Top Shot. I think they've done a great job and they were actually a huge inspiration for us. But I actually saw a company recently, which what they do is they collect uh, sports memorabilia. So think signed basketball cards or a signed actual game-worn jersey, Mm -hmm. and they store it in a vault in a secure facility. And then they take, you know, images of that product and digitize it. And then they sell the NFT that corresponds to the physical product. And at any point in that situation, you can exchange your digital NFT for the physical product. Another company that did something similar to that was uh, Uniswap when they did it with the Unisocks, where they kind of had, you know, digital pairs of socks that you could burn the NFT and redeem the physical product. So Unisock was really the first company that I saw do that in a meaningful way. And we drew a lot of inspiration from them as well. Okay, well, t- tell us about Unisoc. How, how did that work? Can you give us a bit more detail? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that company is amazing, very cool. But basically, they created 500 pairs of digital socks. Yeah. Um, we could pull up what exactly what they looked like, and they had some sort of dynamic pricing. So the first pair of socks sold for $12, and then it got a little bit more expensive for each pair additionally after that. And a lot of people, you know, in the beginning, they burned the NFT to redeem the, the physical product which of course, because of supply and demand caused the the demand to skyrocket. So now I think, I'm not sure the exact number, but there's around 300 digital versions of the socks left. The socks are trading at around $140,000 each. And again, you know, a lot of people look at it and they say, how is anyone paying that price for 
a digital pair of socks, which initially released for $12. Yeah. But I think it's important to note that it's not really about the intrinsic value that you know the digital version gives you. Just like if you were to ha- own a regular sports card, it's not just about the image on the card. The reason why the sports card has value and the reason why Unisocks have value is because it's you know, licensed directly from a brand. It's a proven scarce asset. And in the case of Unisocks, ownership and authenticity is proven through the blockchain. So that asset is proven to be scarce. Even if Uniswap wanted to release more Unisocks, you know, everything on the blockchain is timestamped. I always say that your reputation is public and timestamped. So for them, there's always going to be the original 500 collection. No one has the power to release more. And I think that that's what really drives the value behind it. Hmm. Okay. I get it. And so your your company, Blockbar, you've gotten into wine and spirits and using that as the asset that's backed by the NFT. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And as I said, we drew inspiration from NBA Top Shot and Unisocks. So for two separate reasons. So firstly, I think that when a lot of people first hear about NFTs, they're a little bit speculative. And I think you and I have spoken about this before, where even if someone understands NFTs, there's still that barrier to entry to really go in and buy one where it's, you know, you have to set it in, set up an, an account on an exchange, you have to set up a wallet, you end up buying on a website you've never used before from an artist you probably haven't heard of before. But one of the things that I think NBA Top Shot did so well is they were selling assets directly from a company that everybody knew. They were selling, you know, NFTs directly from the NBA. And they also made a very easy on-ramp for consumers to pay in fiat currency. So we drew a lot of inspiration from that, where my co-founder and I were looking at the industry and saying, you know, what if we could sell NFTs directly from luxury brands? And what if we give consumers the ability to pay in fiat, similar to what yeah. NBA Top Shot did? Then also we saw the, the Unisocks model where you know we saw an original $12 pair of socks trading for insane multiples, again, because of the proven scarcity. So for us, we were saying, you know, if this is happening with a $12 pair of sock, socks, imagine what we could do with an asset that holds value inherently and also is an asset that's difficult to store, difficult to authenticate, you know, solves an actual problem in the industry. And again, with wine and spirits, as amazing of an industry as it is, it does come with various obstacles. And it's just a very difficult asset for you to, one, to have access to, and then two, to store on your own. So utilizing NFTs and blockchain technology, we tried to remove those barriers and make it a lot easier for consumers to invest and collect in premium wines and spirits. Nice. Okay, so th- there's definitely been a lot of thought uh, um, and preparation that, that that's gone into this. And, and you, we we started talking about this actually a few weeks, maybe you know, even a few months ago, back at at NFTCon, yeah. and th- that that's actually how I met you. And one of the things yeah. that you said to me then that just absolutely blew my mind was the wine and spirits investments were actually outpacing the S and P five hundred for a return on investment, and then that was just amazing to me. But could, could, could you tell us like a bit more about Blockbar and exactly what you're doing with NFTs and, and how you're using that whole uh, process to disrupt your industry? Yes, of course. So again, I'll start with kind of the problem that we see in the industry, and then I yeah. could dive into you know how we kind of solve those problems. So firstly, in the wine and spirits industry, the primary issue or the initial issue that many people have is access where if you want to buy an exclusive bottle of wine or premium spirits, it's actually pretty difficult for you to get your hands on that bottle. It's very difficult to get in touch directly with the brand. In most cases, the brand is legally not even allowed to sell to you directly. Then even if you somehow get the bottle, again, you're not going to find it in like a regular liquor store, but let's say you get the bottle, you now have to worry about storing it in the proper temperature. You have to worry about friends coming over and drinking it, someone knocking it over, 
Yeah. If you move from one city to another city, you have to worry about transporting it, which is actually very difficult. You have to worry about getting insurance on it. And then lastly, like you just mentioned, premium spirits does actually end up being a, a very good investment. But if you want to sell it, it's pretty difficult for you to actually sell it because you have, you're going to have to prove authenticity. And the cold hard truth in the industry is it's almost impossible to prove authenticity on a premium bottle of spirits or, or wine. And again, what most companies do is they'll authenticate the bottle and they'll authenticate the, the label, but the liquid on the inside is actually virtually impossible to authenticate. And just a great example is, you know, let's say you get a premium bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people do is they could stick a needle inside the bottle, dump out the liquid, fill it in with fake liquid. And then when it shows up at an auction house, you're selling the real bottle with the real label, but fake liquid inside. Then even more so, let's say that you buy the actual product. You're running the risk that the person who owned it before you misproperly stored it and it spoiled the liquid on the inside. So mm -hmm. what we do at Block Bar is... We sell NFTs directly from luxury spirits and wine brands. Each NFT corresponds to an actual physical bottle, which we store in our facility in Singapore for free. And then we issue the consumer an NFT, and that NFT could be resold on the platform or on any Ethereum-based platform, could be used to showcase a collection, could be gifted to anybody across the entire world, or at any point that NFT could be burned and the physical product could be redeemed. So a very easy way that we like to explain it for consumers who have never bought an NFT before is you buy the bottle directly from the brand. We store it for you for free. And then we issue you a digital version of the bottle, which acts as instant proof of authenticity, verification of ownership, and then the right to have the corresponding asset delivered to you at any time. Nice. So you're offering people who wouldn't normally be able to get into this very lucrative industry and an opportunity to do so, but without all of the hassle of having to understand how to store this bottle and where to store it and all of the stuff that usually goes along with it. Yeah, exactly. And also for consumers who have never bought an NFT before, which we get a lot of them, usually they hear about us because the product that we're selling is not available anywhere else. It's exclusively available on Blockbar. It's sold in partnership with the brand. So they feel that they're buying something directly from the brand. And then they have the ability to pay by wire transfer, credit card, or crypto. <clears throat> so from a consumer standpoint who has never really dealt in crypto, they yeah. see a product from the brand, they can pay in fiat, and then they have the option to redeem the product immediately, in which case it operates like a regular e-commerce platform, except now they have the added benefit to opt into having the product stored by professionals and having it insured for them. Amazing. I, I love that. that. That just makes the whole process really simple. And that, that's sort of really what Web3 and, and crypto is about, is giving opportunities for, to people who wouldn't normally have those opportunities prior to this movement that we're going through. But, you know, I, Sam, I'd love for you to share some more of that insight with the audience and really educate us on what the value of an asset-backed NFT is. Are you up for that conversation? Yeah, of course. Okay, amazing. So I actually went back to our NFT con video and it pulled up some of the comments from the video. And I'll pose some of those comments to you as questions and, and try to get your response. I think these might be some of the questions that sort of, you know, the average everyday person is thinking about when it comes to asset-backed NFTs. So here's the first question. Someone says, so I already have some NFT art. It's not backed by any assets. It's backed by the community of owners and it lives on the blockchain. What would an asset-backed NFT offer to me that I don't already have? 
Well, I think that it's just, you know, two completely separate types of collectibles. And again, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. So for example, when a lot of people own NFTs, it is a great way to buy something directly from artists to have a ledger to see where that product comes from. The only thing that asset-backed NFTs do is it's, it's a way to easily prove authenticity and ownership. Same way that you know a regular NFT proves authenticity and ownership over the digital asset, an asset-backed NFT can prove authenticity and ownership over a physical asset. Again, the most important aspect of that would be that the custodian of the physical asset is trusted and that it's coming from a great, good source which just comparing it to our industry, to what we do at BlockBar, all of the products on BlockBar are sold in partnership with the brands. And again, we do that to ensure authenticity so that the physical product has never been touched by a consumer. So for us, that's a great way that we prove authenticity. We publish that authenticity on the blockchain and it makes it very transparent for everyone. What another company could have done or, or something that we were considering doing before we launched directly with the brands is, you know, we could have just bought bottles ourselves and then we could have tied those bottles to NFTs and then released the NFTs. Now, again, that would also be an asset-backed NFT, but ultimately that doesn't solve any problems. So I think the way that we went about tackling asset-backed NFTs is we said, okay, what issues do these physical assets have? What issues do physical bottles of spirits and physical bottles of wine have? Now, how can we solve those issues utilizing NFTs? And we tied the two together. So again, I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I think that they're just different, but maybe one benefit uh, of having a, an asset-backed NFT, at least from our eyes, is it gives you kind of a hedge on the crypto market. Not that I think anybody needs it, but in our world, you know, if crypto goes down, there is still going to be an inherent value of the, over the physical asset that it corresponds to. And then if crypto, crypto goes up, there will be some people who are looking to buy it in cryptocurrency. So it is a good chance to hedge. And specifically on our platform, we allow owners to list their products in USD or an E. Okay, nice. Well, I, I can think of some, something else that occurred to me. You know, in, in the NFT art world, there is this threat of a log pull. And then that's when, you know, you're, the people who are responsible for a particular NFT art project just disappear with the money or, or with the assets and, and you never hear from them again. But I think what you're doing that shows that there isn't necessarily going to be that threat of, of a log pull is you're working directly with the manufacturers. And so yeah, with the partnership with the manufacturers means that there's trust there because, you know, it's almost the same as, as buying it directly from the manufacturer, but the manufacturer doesn't deal in uh, NFTs and they don't deal in crypto, but you do and, and are providing that service that allows for people to then be able to perform th th this particular purchase. And then on top of that, you're storing these bottles on, on their behalf. Am, am I correct in thinking that way? Yeah, 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 definitely. And again, one, I think working with the brands definitely gives that sort of safety in the sense of a potential rug pull. But also, again, the main reason we partnered with the brands is because for us, we looked at the spirits industry and we said, you know, there is an issue with authenticity in this industry. How can we solve it? And we felt the only real way to solve it was to work directly with the brands, because ultimately, if we were to just take some of our own product and list it on, on BlockBar, you know, there's no real assurance that that product is real. We almost run into the same problem that people have now. So just to prevent that problem and to make sure we give consumers the best chance at authenticity that, that we found and the best chance at access, the best chance, the best option for storage and, and insurance, we work directly with the brands and we tied it to physical products. 
and also, you know, just expanding on a little bit more of the conversation, part of the reason why the brands chose to partner with us was because number one, we have a longstanding relationship with them, but also yeah. they are all looking to enter the Web3 space, but they were very careful how they were going to, you know, enter the Web3 space, whether it be with NFTs or the metaverse. They didn't want any of their consumers thinking that they were just going into the NFT space as a marketing campaign and, and to, to get catchy headlines. And really, none of our brand partners have really partnered with us because of that. Yeah. The main reason that they entered the space is because they identified an issue that's in the marketplace and they see an NFTs as an efficient way to solve that issue. And, you know, when you think of access, a, a great example is, you know, some of the best wineries in the world, they only produce four to 5,000 cases a year. Now, those four to 5,000 cases a year are probably pre-allocated to an ultra high net worth individual living in specific regions. The age demographic is probably very similar almost every year that they buy it. But, you know, it could be that there's someone of a different demographic living in a different country who would be interested in buying that asset, but would never even get the chance because they don't have the proper connections. Sure. And I think that the brands are excited to partner with Blockbar because it really does democratize the whole industry and gives people you know, equal access and transparency into what these bottles are worth and also the ability to buy them. So traditionally in the spirits world, if you were to make you know, a vintage and let's say you had 10,000 bottles, you have to allocate those bottles. So you, let's say you have some bottles go to Asia, some bottles go to North America, South America, some go to travel retail. But it's, it's kind of different and kind of difficult for someone who doesn't play or know these things to really get access to those bottles. So one of the exciting reasons that the brands partnered with Blockbar is because you, know, you now have 10,000 bottles or whatever it is, you put it online, everyone in the entire world has equal opportunity to buy those bottles and consumers don't even have to bear the burden of having it shipped to them or mm -hmm. them having to store it. So a consumer living in any place in the entire world, whether they're allowed to import spirits or not into their region, is allowed to buy an NFT that corresponds mm -hmm. to a physical product. And ultimately, eventually, they can redeem it to a different location or send it as a gift to somebody else. So it really does um, kind of remove the barriers for a, lot of these, for a lot of these consumers who are looking to get into this space. I get it. Yeah. So you're using the blockchain and NFTs to actually solve a problem. And then on top of that, the brands get like this brand lift by having their products be available to a, a whole different class of people who didn't have access to them before that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, so, yeah, for sure. And I, I think you, you actually touched a bit on this second question, but maybe we, we can go a bit into detail with it. So th this second person was saying the world seems to be moving towards digital goods. What is the benefit of holding physical assets now? What do you think? So again, I think it really depends on the type of asset that you're looking for. Again, you know, there's always going to be some people who prefer physical art and some people who prefer digital art. And for me, you know, <laughs> as fun as it sounds to, you know, drink a bottle of wine or drink a bottle of whiskey in the metaverse, mm -hmm. ultimately, I think that people are always going to be looking to drink in the, in, the, in the physical world. And again, I think that this is a cool opportunity to bridge those two worlds, to bridge the physical and digital worlds. And ultimately, I always say, when someone is going to consume the product, because all of our products are ultimately made to be consumed by someone, people shouldn't store it forever. It's good to know that the product that you're consuming is authentic because it came directly from the brand and has been stored properly the entire time. So, you know, let's say you're, you're saving a, a special bottle of wine for a special occasion, call it 10, 15, even 20 years down the line. If yeah. you're storing it in your house, you're running, you know, the risk that there's too much sun exposure or it gets knocked over or 
if you move from one point to another, you know, it's sitting in, the, in your car. But with us, you know that it's always going to be stored by professionals. And ultimately, when you do choose to redeem it for that special occasion, that product is going to be in perfect condition. And again, I think there are many benefits to the digital world. But I think that, you know, there's going to be stuff that's just in the digital world, stuff that's just in the physical world, and some stuff that kind of bridges the world, those worlds together. Okay. And you're, you're saying with your company, you're trying to actually bridge those two worlds together. Yeah, th that's kind of our goal. Again, I think, and we spoke about this before, right now, when you look at a lot, the average age of people who are buying NFTs or entering the metaverse, it's, you're usually looking at a somewhat younger demographic. And at the same time, when you think of someone who collects premium wines and spirits, it's usually an older demographic. So one thing that we like to say is we're onboarding the older generation into the world of Web3 and we're onboarding the younger generation, of course, the of legal age generation into the world of collecting and investing in premium wines and spirits. But again, I think that in our specific scenario, the digital NFT is used as a way to prove authenticity and ownership and provenance of a physical bottle. But in our situation, the physical asset is ultimately meant to be consumed in the physical world. Understood. Okay. And look, let's talk a bit more about those um, physical assets. So last question that I have for you, uh, this person was saying, can I just buy the physical asset myself and eliminate the middleman, but also eliminate the gas fees? Can I just go straight to the manufacturer? So uh, it depends on the region that you live in. Specifically in the United States, you are legally not allowed to buy directly from the brand. In the United States, we have something called the three-tier system where there has to be a manufacturer, there has to be a distributor, there has to be a retailer, and no party can play two of those roles. So if you're a distributor, you can't have retail locations. If you're a retailer, you can't be you know, a supplier or a manufacturer. So it passes three tiers before it ultimately reaches a consumer. That's yeah. just in the US. In other places of the world, yes, you could buy directly. Now, again, in those other places, it's very unlikely that you're even gonna be able to buy directly from the brand. But even if you do, if you're living outside of the US and you do buy directly from the brand, ultimately, if you want to, let's say, gift that, that bottle to someone in Asia, it's going to be very costly and very difficult for you to ship that bottle to someone in Asia. And then even if you try to resell it, you're legally not allowed to resell it because you need a liquor license to sell spirits. So again, yes, you could just buy you know, directly from the brand if you somehow get access. But if you want to save that asset for a future date to drink it on a special occasion, or if you want to gift it to somebody else, or if you want to resell it, then you're going to run into a problem because anyone who's going to be purchasing it from you is going to, again, like everybody, want to know that that product is authentic. And there's no real way for you to prove that that product is authentic because, as I said, the industry is so riddled with counterfeit. And, you know, there's great books and great movies on this, on, on, on all of this industry. I recommend watching, you know, Sour Grapes or The Bourbon King or reading billionaire's vinegar, which is all just instances of either counterfeit or improper storage. So again, yes, you could, if you're not in the US, you could buy directly if you get the access. But then again, once you have that product, if you're not consuming it right away, you may run into some certain obstacles. I'm sure those, those types of obstacles exist outside of wine and spirits as well. The, the difficulty of, of buying an asset, if you don't have the right, you know, licenses, if you're not you know, like a declared importer that, that, that can create some issues, but then on the, on the, the other side of trying to sell it as well, they're, they're the same types of issues where you, you need to be licensed and you need to have like a 
particular type of status in, in some cases to be able to, to sell some assets. So yeah. that stuff exists across yeah. a, a variety of industries, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And again, when we were looking to get into the NFT world, we were looking at various different industries. We looked at you know watches, fashion, fragrances. Ultimately, we landed on spirits because there's just certain use cases that are so great specifically in the spirits world. Number one is spirits is one of the only collectibles that you can own but can't resell yourself. So think about if you have a car or if you have a watch or you have you know, a sports memorabilia trading card, you could sell that to anyone across the world. Mm-hmm. With spirits, like I said, you need a specific liquor license to resell that collectible. Um, and then number two, the main issue that we're solving is predominantly around storage and authenticity. So you know, if you have a watch or you have a sports collectible card, you still have to be careful with how you store it. But storing a watch is not as difficult as storing premium spirits, um, spirits and wine. Wine is even more difficult, meaning wine has to be in a set temperature, can't have too much sun exposure. Most people probably don't do it correctly. So that's one of the, the ways we come in. We store it for you. And then on the counterfeit side, you know, it's a little, I don't want to say it's much easier, but it's a little bit easier to prove authenticity of a watch or to prove authenticity of a jewel or to prove authenticity of a sports collectible. With spirits, like I said, it's pretty difficult. And that's why counterfeit is so rampant because the liquid on the inside is very, very, very difficult, if not near impossible to authenticate. So for us, we said, you know, yes, I think this technology one day will exist for various different industries, for fashion, for fragrances, for watches. Almost any collectible could benefit from, you know, proof of authenticity, verification of ownership, and the right to have the corresponding asset delivered. Specifically, like I said, the reason it works in spirits is because of the inherent issues in authenticity and also because of the opaqueness of the industry and the inability to really interact directly with the brand. Gotcha. Well, Sam, you've answered these questions masterfully. You really know your stuff. It was amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that, Jay. It was amazing having the opportunity to to just have have this discussion with you and, and really educate ourselves on on what's the the purpose behind having these asset backed NFTs. So b- before you go, I, I've asked you this question before. I want to ask you again with, with this specific audience. I'd love to know what your take is on the future of the NFT industry. So. What emerging developments are you seeing in NFTs right now that you are most excited for in 2022? Well, first of all, I think that it's still very early in this industry. And I think I mentioned this on the last time we last time we spoke, so I'm trying not to be repetitive. But I really do think it's very early in this industry. And I really urge many people, if they don't know a lot about NFTs, to really just watch YouTube videos, follow the right Twitter accounts, read blog posts, because right now it's kind of so early that people are all still learning. Um, so a lot of the answers that people have or that people say they have, I would be a little bit weary of them. I always say I'm, I'm very weary of people who say that they're experts in the crypto space because every day, every week, every month, things are changing. The landscape is ch- are changing. Everything is constantly evolving. So I think it's a great opportunity for people to really educate themselves into the benefits of Web3. Of course, there's going to be some downfalls as is with every, any technology. But I think looking at the overall industry, I think that the benefits outweigh the, the, the pitfalls. So my advice to everyone is to you know, really educate yourself on the industry, stay on top of things. And for those who are interested in, in buying NFTs, I recommend you do your research on that specific project. I think that good projects uh, usually have great founders who are transparent, you know, the ones who are active in the Discord, active on Twitter, the projects that you could actually identify who the, who the creators are immediately. 
because this world really gives a new level of transparency. One of the things that I'm most excited about 2022 is the fact that many of these recognized brands in the physical world are now entering the digital world and you know the world of Web3. We've done a great job of onboarding spirits and wine brands, but you see you know brands like Nike, fashion brands like Gucci, many various different brands that are now entering into the space, which is very exciting. So yeah, I mean, I think 2022 is going to be a great year. And I, I think that the technology adoption curve is just going to grow faster and faster. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We're, we're only now at the beginning of this incredible movement. Probably like if we compared it to Web2, this is like the 1990s. There's, there's still lots of room to go. It's going to be amazing. Sam, yeah, exactly. it, go, go for it. No, 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 exactly. I was just going to, I was going to say the same thing. And, you know, like the world in Web2, I think that there's going to be a lot of companies that emerge and not every company is going to succeed. But I think the companies that do a great job in, you know, onboarding more people and informing more people and educating more people and really provide a real benefit are going to stick around for a very long time. No, you're absolutely right. And, and Sammy, you know, we try to keep these conversations short and just be respectful of everyone's time. But I know that there, there might be people who are listening who want to follow you, want to follow block by and, and find out some more about what, what, what you have going on. How can people find you online? How can they connect with you? Well, you know, I'm on all the traditional channels. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, or my email is, is very easy to find. But also, I think that the best way to learn more about BlockBar, we have a YouTube channel with some great videos, some great videos breaking down asset-backed NFTs. We have a Discord channel where we, you know, regular Discord chatter. And then we have a Telegram channel where we post regular updates. So anyone interested in BlockBuyer, I urge you to follow us on any platform, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, Telegram, WhatsApp. And if you have another platform and you think we should be active there, feel free to let me know. Uh, nice, nice. And <laughs> to the audience, if you made it all the way to the end of this conversation, congratulations and thank you for joining us. If you check our episode description right now, you'll find links to all of Sam's contact information, as well as links to the YouTube page and the BlockBar website. We encourage you to, to check them out and reach out to Sam to keep the conversation going. Sam, again, man, it was amazing having you here. Thank you for the education. Thank you for the inf information. Thank you for the inspiration. I wish you all the best with BlockBar. We want you to, to just have amazing success. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate that. And it was, it was great seeing you. Hopefully, you know, we can meet up IRL soon. Ah, definitely, 100%. <laughs>